I'm excited today to get to continue in our series um, in Moses. We've been looking at the story of Moses in in Exodus, and we've seen how God has brought his people out of Egypt. God had started his covenant with a man named Abraham and said, hey, your descendants are going to grow to be numerous, and they're going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God, and I will take care of, of you guys, but I will also bless the whole world through this nation that will come from your descendants And that is what God is working on doing here as we look at the story of Exodus. The Israelites ended up being in Egypt, and they were prosperous there, and they were numerous there, and and there were things were going really well in Egypt until a new pharaoh came along and enslaved them, and they spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And God heard their cries, and he sends a man named Moses to go and lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses goes, and God does miraculous things, signs and wonders. And and we talked about the plagues, too, that, that God brought down to get Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And finally, the Israelites go in this miraculous way. They're able to leave Egypt, and um, then they encounter the Red Sea, and God continues to do miraculous things and parts the Red Sea, and he leads them in this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's physically leading them to the promised land. And so as we continue on our journey here, we're going to look at Exodus 17. And this is one of the last stops of the Israelites before they get to Mount Sinai, before they get to Mount Horeb, where God will give the the nation further instructions. And so here we are, Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. Rephidim. I practiced that. I still, I still stumbled. That's okay. (laughs) They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So we see here a repeated pattern 
of the Israelites, right? They, God is doing miraculous things. God is, God is leading them on this journey. But when they encounter something hard, when they encounter something that seems impossible, that feels impossible, they get angry with God. They get angry with Moses. In this case, it's the lack of water. Now, can we just say water is really important? <laughs> water is really important. So my kids started, our kids started school this week, as many of you, you here I see started school this week. And uh, one of the things that Alyssa is doing is she's in cross country. Well, it just so happened that we had like record-breaking heat um, on, on one of the days this week. I think it was Thursday this week. It was like 102, 103, and she had cross-country practice right after school. And so when I went and picked her up, her face was just bright red, and she was like almost panting, and she's like, my water bottle's empty. I'm so thirsty. And it was a big deal. It was a hard, it was a hard practice. Thankfully, the coach was totally understanding and looking out for the kids and they switched the practice to the morning the next day. But water is so important, especially when you're in the desert, especially when you're, where you're in the heat. So this is a legitimate problem that the Israelites are having. Remember, this is a mass of people, maybe up to two million people and they're running out of water. And so what's their response? They challenge Moses' leadership. They go to Moses and they, the text says they quarreled with Moses and they grumbled against Moses saying, give us water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? So here the Israelites are expecting Moses to provide water. They're not asking God. They're asking Moses to provide water. And the tensions are so high, the emotions are so high, that Moses fears for his life. He's like, these people are ready to stone me. The Israelites also challenge God's presence. Um, They challenge God's presence saying, is the Lord among us or not? Like, is God really here? Is God really present? They're doubting whether God is with him, doubting whether, maybe doubting his ability or maybe his desire to provide water for them. Now, remember, the, the Lord is leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. So, so God is basically their GPS here. So they're in a place with no water, And God has specifically led them here. And so they're thinking, God, you can do a way better job than this. I mean, let me be in charge of the GPS. Like this, this could go way better. And so they take an accusatory tone with God and with Moses. So this is a legitimate request, but the way they approach it is quite accusatory. I don't know if this would ever happen in your family, and this is a total hypothetical situation, okay? This would never happen in our family. Uh, but say someone needs to throw away a piece of trash, and they go to the kitchen trash can, and the trash can is not just full, but it's like piled up a little bit, and they throw that piece of trash in the trash can, and it just rolls off onto the ground. I'm sure your trash cans never get that full, right? Never. It, it would also never happen in my, my family. And, and I suppose you see someone doing this in your household, 
and then they just walk away. So how, there, there are different ways to respond to that situation. One way to respond would be, hey, can you please take out the trash? Like, that needs to be done. Can you please take out the trash? Another way might be, um, how did you possibly not see that the trash is overflowing? Are you blind? Like, that's, that's another way to respond to that. But do you see the, the difference in tone, the difference in how do we approach a problem? I was thinking about that as, as, I, as I was thinking about how the Israelites chose to respond to this really challenging thing, this really difficult thing. Um, a few years ago, I was listening to, to a few of Andy Stanley's leadership podcasts, and, and I remember Mike and I, we had a, a long conversation about this one, um, but he has one podcast that I went back to today where he talks about healthy teams and healthy churches, and, and his whole, whole point is to choose to trust and to choose to be trustworthy. And so I went back and I re-listened to part of this podcast this week, and he describes how in a team or in a, in a family, you can broaden that, in, in, in a community, there are always unexplainable gaps between what you expect a person to do and what actually happens. So, you know, he gave the example of you're sitting at a meeting and, and the person you, you're supposed to be meeting with is late. So how do you respond to that situation? Do you respond by assuming that, oh, something must have come up, like they'll be here, they'll, they'll, we'll figure it out? Or do you respond with frustration and, oh, that, that guy's, you know, that person is just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he talks about when you have these unexplainable gaps that we get to choose to fill the gap with either trust or suspicion. And I thought that was so fascinating. We choose, when we don't know, we choose to fill that gap with either trust or suspicion. And I want to, I love that concept. I want to apply that uh, concept to, to our relationship with God. When God who is trustworthy and has proven himself over and over to show up and to provide, when God um, doesn't do what we expect him to do, doesn't do it in the way we expect or in the time frame that we want, and we don't understand why there's that gap, do we fill that gap with trust or do we fill that gap with suspicion? Here in this story, God did not lead the Israelites to the location they were expecting, and they, he, he did not lead the Israelites to a place that had sufficient water in the timeline that they were expecting. And so they filled that gap with frustration and anger and questioning God. What is our reaction when God doesn't do what we expect in our time frame? So in this story, we, we, we can look at the Israelites and their response. We can also look at Moses. So Moses, as they come to Moses all angry, he asks them the question, why are you doing this? 
He says, he points out the crux of the matter. He says, you're testing God. Why are you testing God? And this word test means to question, to doubt, to discount, to make um, discredible, like what discount what God has said he will do. And you're testing God's presence. You're questioning whether he's even here with us and his ability to provide Moses later calls this place Masa and Meribah. And Masa means testing, and Meribah means quarreling or arguing or, or protesting against God. So we see how the Israelites respond. We see how Moses responds. How does God respond? God gives specific instructions for Moses to follow. He says, go out in front of the Israelites. Where and, and in front of the Israelites is where the pillar of cloud is, where by day and the pillar of fire by night, the, the cloud that, that represents God's leadership of the people. He says, go out in front of the Israelites, take the elders as your witnesses. Those are the, the people making the decisions and, and the spokespersons for the group and take the staff that um, the staff which you struck the Nile, the staff that I use to work miracles through you, take that staff with you. It's a symbol of what God has done and God's power. And then God says, I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. So maybe in that pillar of cloud, maybe that's what that looked like. But a clear visual that Moses is there and God is right there with Moses. So he's, God's responding to the Israelites' challenge to Moses and the Israelites' challenge to God. And then through Moses, God miraculously provides water. He gives Moses the instruction, strike the rock, and the rock will pour, pour forth water. And so Moses does that, and God provides for his people. And that's kind of where the, the account in Exodus um, 17 ends. And I wish we had more. Like, I want to know what happens next. What was the Israelites' response next? But the text doesn't tell us that. For, for when, we, when we look at Scripture, when we read Scripture, we come with all our questions, but sometimes our questions just don't get answered. And so it's good to look at the text and ask, well, what is this, what is this Scripture trying to convey? What is the message that the authors are trying to convey? And in this story, the message is about Israel's doubt and their lack of trust in God. The message is about God's continued faithfulness and provision, and also about Moses' role as a faithful leader, that in the midst of this chaos, Moses stays true to God. He trusts God, and he follows God's instructions and mediates between God and his people. So this is a fascinating story to me. And what I want to do next is actually read a similar story that we find in Numbers. But the difference, there's some similarities between these stories, but there's also some differences. And the Numbers story actually happens 40 years later. So God promises to take the Israelites to the promised land, the land of Canaan, and give them that land. God, in short, fulfills his part of the promise, and he leads them to the land of Canaan. Once they get there, they send out scouts to see the land and to kind of figure out how they're going to go about this, this conquest. And then the scouts come back, and 10 of the 12 scouts say, no way, we can't do it. God said that 
we can do it, but we can't do it. They were afraid. And so because of their account, the majority of the people are afraid that it's impossible, and they start grumbling and complaining again. And so God sends them back into the wilderness for 40 years until those who had refused to go in um, pass away, and then a new generation will go back to the promised land. And so this account that we read in Numbers 20 is going to be towards the end of that 40 years. Okay, so about 40 years have passed. So listen for the similarities and the differences in this account. Numbers 20, starting in verse 1. In the first month of the whole, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin, and they stayed in Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did we bring, why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness? That we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour, it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can have a drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. So interesting. You have a second story that's very similar to the first, but it's, it's a whole different instance. So here's what I want to do. I want to just look at the similarities and the differences between the first time this happens, the water from the rock, and the second time this happens. So first of all, in Exodus, in Exodus, there's no water. People grumble against Mo- Moses. There's no water again in, in Numbers 40 years later. And people gather in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Pretty similar, right? Pretty similar. Okay, next thing. The people accuse Moses of bringing them out of Egypt to die in the desert, to die of thirst, 
In the second account, 40 years later, people again accuse Moses and Aaron of bringing them out of Egypt to die of thirst. Now, there's a few extra things in here. They also say, um, why did you bring us here to die in this terrible place? And another way to translate that word terrible would be evil, this evil place. So here, remember, the Lord is their GPS, and they're calling this place evil. And then they say there's no figs or grapes or pomegranates. And what's so special about that? Well, when God took them to the promised land and the scouts went in, what did they bring back to show the people how good this land was? Figs and grapes and pomegranates. So they, they complain about it not being like the promised land. Next, uh, Moses cries out to God and God answers. And Moses and Aaron in the second story also cry out to God and God answers. In fact, the glory of God appears. So at the beginning, it was this pillar of cloud. Later on, when they had the tent of meeting, the cloud or the fire settled over the tent of meeting. In the first story, Moses follows God's instructions to the T. This is where the differences come in. In the second story, Moses only follows part of God's instructions. So what was God's instructions? Take the staff, which Moses obeyed. Assemble the people, which Moses obeyed. And then God says, speak to the rock. And what does Moses say? He looks at the people and says, you rebels. He gets angry at the people, say, you disobedient people, you rebels. There's in, in, in uh, Psalms, it refers back to the story. It says, Moses spoke harshly to the people. You hostile people is another way to, to translate that word rebel. The word rebel is mara. It, it means hostile to be in defiance against God. And interestingly enough, later on in Numbers, it's that same word used to describe what Moses and Aaron do in this story. So instead of speaking to the rock, Moses speaks harshly to the people, and then he strikes the rock twice. You really get a sense of Moses just having having a fit of rage, of anger. He's lashing out. He's dis obeying God's instructions, and he's angry. And then he takes credit for God's miracle. He says, listen, you rebels, must we, him and Aaron, must we bring water out of this rock? So that's a definitely difference, a difference from the previous story. Next, how does God respond? Well, in both cases, God miraculously brings forth water from the rock. And I love this about God. In the middle of Moses' defiance, in Moses' disobedience, and in the middle of his anger, God's still faithful. God's like, the people need water, and water comes from the rock. But the conclusion, what the results are a little bit different. Um, in the first story, God publicly affirms Moses' leadership. He says, stand in front of the people. I'll be right there with you. And, you know, they will see 
that you're, you're doing what I've commanded you. In the second story, God punishes Moses and Aaron for not, and this is interesting, not trusting enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Here listed is, is a, Moses has a lack of trust in God. And that's part of why he doesn't follow the instructions. He doesn't honor God as holy. To, to honor God as holy is to be dedicated to God, to be loyal to God, to act in reverence towards God. And if you're acting in loyalty and reverence and dedication, if you're treating God as sacred, then you're going to follow what God says. And so the consequence of that is that Moses and Aaron would not be allowed to go into the promised land. So if we ask the question again, what's the message in this narrative for us? What's the, the narrative trying to convey? Uh, narratives trying to show how the Israelites lacked trust in God and also how Moses and Aaron lacked trust in God and disobeyed God. And yet, despite of all that, God continued to be faithful and to provide. The last thing I want to mention as we compare, compare these stories is, is a, a significant detail or a detail in here that we haven't talked about that I find very significant. It's a background detail from the very beginning in Numbers. It tells us that Miriam, Moses's and Aaron's sister, had just died. You know, the text doesn't tell us why Moses chose to disobey God, why he was so angry. And it's quite uncharacteristic of Moses. I mean, this is a repeated pattern where the Israelites turn away from God, and Moses is the one mediating and bringing them back. And so I have to wonder how much grief played a role in all this. I wonder if in his pain and um, in his sorrow, it was easier to be angry and frustrated rather than to trust in God's faithfulness and in God's provision. And I wonder, friends, how true that is of us. I wonder, when I look at my life, Oh, it's much easier to trust in God when things are going well. It's much easier. And so for us today, I want to invite us to, 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 consider, to consider God's faithfulness and to consider how he provides, to consider how constant his character is. We are invited to trust in God's faithfulness and provision, whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. We are invited to seek God, to listen for God's desires and instruction for our lives, and then to honor God with our obedience, to honor God by trusting that he will provide in this season whatever season we find ourselves in. And when God's faithfulness and God's provision doesn't look like we expect it to look, or when we don't receive things in the timeline that we want them to, we get to choose to still trust in God because God is trustworthy. 
I don't know what kind of season this is for you. If this is a really sweet season and things are going really well and it's easy to trust in God right now, or maybe you're facing some really hard things right now, some really big things, some things like the no water in the, in the desert that feels impossible and feels so challenging. You know, life is so often not easy when it comes to relationships in our families, at work, in church, I mean, just relationships in general. When it comes to financial struggles, when it comes to housing, you know, people looking for a safe place to lay their head at night. Right now, when it comes to mental health, I mean, all the things that can be hard and challenging. I just want to remind us that God is bigger than all those things. And God is faithful, and God is trustworthy, and he promises to be with us. And so in those things, we get to choose. Will we lean in to God? Will we lean in to trust? Or will we lean away? And will we fill that gap with suspicion and frustration and walk away? And so I want to invite us, friends, to lean in and to seek God and to trust that God is faithful and God is working even when we don't see it right in front of us and to continually bring our struggles and our sorrows and our anger, whatever it is, and our, and our needs before God, knowing that he sees us and that he loves us and his, his plan may not look like, probably won't look like, what we want. You know, I like to bring an agenda to God. I'd like you to do this, this, and this. And that's usually not how it goes. But I do know, I do believe that he is faithful. And also we get to be a part of a community where we don't have to do that alone. So we encourage you to, uh, to come to God and also in community for us to come to God together. Let's pray about that. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God who invites us to come to you, invites us to bring our struggles and the challenges of life to you, Lord, and that you never abandon us, but that you are a God who is always present, that you are constant, that you are faithful. And Lord, when we can't see you or feel you or experience you, um, in, in the ways that we're expecting, Lord, I pray that you would help just open our eyes and open our hearts to you, that you would help us to trust your faithfulness and the, your character as a good and loving God who cares deeply about us. And God, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like in all the different aspects of our lives, Lord, in our families and at work and with our friends, like just all the different aspects of our lives, God. What does it look like to both trust you and to follow you? Lord, we want what you want for us because we know that everything you want, Lord, is good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.